Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Chris. And me, Matt. Sorry, I had to suppress a cough as you go through the intro there. It's okay, it's just a bit of dry throat. It's not COVID, I promise. Oh, God. Are you <coughs> a... You're over there. I'm over here. Uh, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're in the bunker. We're fine. We're well, you're in a different... We've They've moved us in different bunkers, which is helpful. They've uh, obviously... our bunkers off. Yep, yep. Which is probably a good thing. They should have done that from the day one, really, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, to be honest. But anyway... I don't have to beat your massive turds down the toilet every time I go with the bogs. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there it is. The, 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 the bar has been lowered. Into, uh, the, 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 uh, um, uh, so, yeah, what do we do on the Movie Bunker podcast, Matthew? Well, Chris, it's funny you should ask. Um, we uh, like those massive turds. Uh, we, we pick those turds out of the toilet um, and we watch them. Um, and see if there's any redeeming features in said turd. <laughs> Sometimes we get some guests along to inter- um, to review their own turds and uh, see if they can um, release them into the wild. Wow, that's uh, that's a real image uh, I've got in my mind. <laughs> Who did yes. you speak to then this time round? I spoke to Tom Beasley, and we um, uh, we we bat around Green Street. I've never seen Green Street. I'd seen it and I'd hated it. And then I watched it again for this interview. And well, spoiler alert, you can listen to the interview and find out for yourself. I'm not going to spoil 40 minutes of the interview (laughs) now for you. So uh, yeah, here's the interview. Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. Today I'm joined by Tom Beasley. Hello, Tom. Hi there. How are you today? Yes, not too bad. Um, just about managing, I think, is the uh, the way to describe it. Soldiering on in the uh, yes, the soldiering on. Let's go with that. It's a very <laughs> uncertain. It's a very uncertain time to be a full time freelance journalist writing about films. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, I think it's a very uncertain time for everybody. It just feels it feels weird. It feels we, we were up in London, me and Chris, uh, Saturday, and um, it just feels like the start of every apocalypse film you've ever seen. Um, oh, doesn't it just, I was watching, um, t- cause today was the first daily news briefing from, from our prime minister and his health service colleagues and the broadcast started and it was the, the news anchor and he was saying the first of the, the broadcast in the pandemic. And I was like, this is, it is the start of every film ever. <laughs> yeah. I was round, I was, I was with my aunt the other day and she got up this thing that YouTube are doing which is like a live running counter of the cases in all of the countries. And it just looked like the big screen they have in like the panic room yeah. at, at, at the, uh, the government facility where they're planning their response to the outbreak. It's horrifying. Yeah. No wonder people starts, are scared. Yeah, as soon as the news starts doing like hypercuts where they just like show people in, in like full hazmat suits, something burning, a riot, and then a news <laughs> yes. spotter. If that starts happening, then I'm just going to just turn the TV off and just <laughs> sit in the silent dark and just rock slowly, I Thing. Um, not, not even had the courtesy to have any zombies yet no i know just boring stuff like a potential sniffle or death it's just there's just there doesn't seem to be anything in between it's just like a bit of a cold or death which no one can look forward to um no. so tom tell us a bit more about yourself well i'm usually a freelance film journalist <laughs> um, but now zombie hunter <laughs> yes who knows maybe yeah maybe i'll come into my own in the apocalypse we don't know um i suspect not 
Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a freelance film journalist. Um, I review for outlets including uh, Flickering Myth and Vulture Hound. Uh, I write features and news for various places including uh, The Guardian, Gizmodo, uh, Yahoo Movies, uh, sometimes Polygon, occasionally The Ringer, New Statesman, anywhere who will give me even a morsel of money, really. <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds good. So where did, how did you get into this world of writing about film? Uh, well, so I, I I grew into liking films, I guess, in my teenage years. I didn't grow up on films in the way a lot of people did. Um, my parents weren't really into films, didn't really show me much stuff. Until I was about 15, 16, Harry Potter and Star Wars were basically all I knew of films. Uh, and so, but, but I got into it and then uh, I studied to be a proper journalist. Um, I did a journalism degree. Uh, I spent a year or so on uh, a local newspaper. I did my time at a national news agency. So I've been a real journalist. Um, and then the opportunity to move to London came about. And I thought, if I don't try now to be a freelance film journalist, I'll never try it. Um, and I've been doing it now for uh, just over two years. And it's going fairly well. And I'm on this podcast. So fun. Well, yeah, this is the peak. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is it. Once you've hit this podcast, you know you've you've made it all the way to the dizzy <laughs> to the top. This is it. Once I'm revealing the dark underbelly of my film taste on a podcast, that's the. Uh... Yeah, you can tell a lot about people about which film they pick and how they they choose to go about defending it. Um, <laughs> I, I, we always try and keep this a secret, and then you, you realise it's futile because we put it in the title of the podcast. So. It's... <laughs> Yeah, like, that was, yeah. I, I was being very oblique there, you know, thinking full <laughs> well that, yeah, actually, it will just be in the title. Yeah, it'll be Green Street with Tom Beasley. So not only <laughs> is your appearance here not a surprise, but the fact that we're going to be later on talking about Green Street also not a surprise. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to uh, Green Street in a bit. Um, so yeah, let me just ask you some of the sort of set questions that we, we I like to ask, especially uh, first time uh, guests on the podcast. Um, and the, well, the first one is that... Um, have you seen a film recently that you were really looking forward to, but just really disappointed you? I mean, nothing on a big scale. I think it's been quite a sort of solid year for films so far. There haven't been many that have been, you know, really terrible or, or really great. The one that pleasantly surprised me actually recently was the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. All right. Okay. Yeah, I found that to be quite a pleasant surprise. Uh, I, I guess if, if I'm talking disappointment, um, uh, greed with Steve Coogan, I really didn't like, oh. uh, and, and and I thought I was going to enjoy that. I like um, his collaborations with Michael Winterbottom, but I found Greed to be um, an absolute mess. It's one of those things. I think Michael Winterbottom thought he was making a scathing satire of uh, big business and fast fashion and consumerism, yeah. and Sony thought they were making a larky Steve Coogan comedy. <laughs> um, no one got the memo. No one got the memo. There was there was you know lots of problems with their conference calling software. Um, <laughs> it, I don't think it quite worked out. But yes, yeah, so, greed was something of a disappointment for me. But then um, Sonic the Hedgehog, you were. Because I mean, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, um, but I'm expecting like nothing from it, considering the sort of troubled birth it had. But yeah, it was, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's it's just really lovely. It's just it's it's exactly what you, you're not going to be surprised by it. It's exactly what you think it's going to be, but it executes it really well. Um, I think chief among it all is that Jim Carrey is just an absolute joy. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, in the last month or so. Twice I have accidentally happened upon Liar Liar playing on ITV2. <laughs> um, 
And every time you watch sort of half an hour, 40 minutes of Liar Liar, you go, Jim Carrey's really bloody good, isn't he? Um, and he's doing that again in, in Sonic the Hedgehog. And it was so pleasant to see that. There's a scene where they just basically allow him to do an evil dance to some evil music. And it's just brilliant. So his presence is a lot of why it works. Um, but I think they just keep it simple. And I think that's where it benefits. Do you think um, uh, the, uh, the the sort of reshoot, re- I don't know if you can reshoot, the reshoot of the hedgehog uh, was worth it? Um, yeah, yes, I think so. Because anything that can improve the reputation of the film amongst the kind of hardcore fans is going to be positive. It was a bold um, move, right? To sort of go, yeah. actually, yeah, guys, you're right. It does look like the stuff of nightmares. We're going to change yeah, this up a little and bit. You sort of hope it doesn't start a precedent. Because I think it's a dangerous thing to suggest that people on the internet can be correct. Um, <laughs> but on this occasion, they Just were Don't right. let Twitter know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no one tell Reddit that they can influence things for the better. Like, that's... <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they did influence that, and it looks a lot better. Um, one suspects that it would have done just as well with kids anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's obviously who the core demographic is. It's not people who have been playing Sonic their whole life, although those people will see it. It's mostly kids, and it has gone down an absolute treat for that demographic, so fair play to them. Um, So your choice for today was Green Street. My name is Matt Buckner. Finally uh, made it across the pond, then, did you? Yeah. Last spring, I got kicked out of Harvard. What I was about to learn, no school in the world could teach me. Bruv, you know I can't take a yank to football. Yeah, you can. And you're going to be on your best behaviour. Do you understand? Probably the first fight I ever had. You call that a fight? Come on. You might learn something. It's football day. Hello. Don't lie. That's how it is. All right. Wait, what's with all the babysitting? He's practically found. I don't want to hang out with those thugs. It's not a game. They're my friends. Come on, let's get out of here. Stand your ground and fight. Fight? I don't want to fight. Just think of someone you hate. It's the first bungee through. Yeah. A little bit on the feminine side. What? The GSE. Green Street Elite. What was you studying? History. I teach history. You teach? It's our job to save this even from his evil way. To teach him what really matters in life. Listen to me. I like you. But you have no idea what you're getting into. This is what it's all about. It's what we live for. United! What's all this I'm hearing about your firm gone all international? There's more to life than this. Bloody karate kid film based on his exploits. Yes. Can you tell me why? <laughs> I can try. So, as I mentioned right up top, um, 
films weren't really a thing for me for most of my uh, childhood and my sort of younger teenage years. Um, uh, I went to school in a comprehensive school in Coventry in the West Midlands, uh, an all boys comprehensive school with quite a rough reputation. Um, and the year I started there was 2005, which um, fans of Green Street will know was the year that Green Street uh, hit UK cinemas. Yeah. Um, so for the first sort of two or three years I was at this school, I heard a lot about Green Street in hushed tones um, <laughs> about how it was this, this film about football hooliganism and it was sick and violent and cool. And so eventually, I think, funnily enough, as we were talking about Liar Liar, I think it was a late night on one of the ITVs, whether it was as high as two or could have been as low as four. Um, it was it was a, a lower tier ITV, put it that way. Yeah, they were yeah. showing Green Street, and I, so I watched it on my um, tiny little TV. You know those ones that had a video in the bottom of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> none more naughties than that. Uh, and so I watched Green Street, and for the most part, it was the film I thought it was going to be. It was a fairly sort of larky film about football hooliganism with some pretty brutal violence. But then the ending happened, and the ending of Green Street is an act of violence that really undercut the sort of silliness for me yeah, and made it really quite serious and really quite potent. And so in the years to come, when I went on to watch, you know, horror films and violent cinema, I found myself constantly going back to Green Street as the act of cinematic violence that, that really affected me. And I think that if the film, you know, because for most of it, the film makes you laugh. The dialogue's quite sparky. The characters are, are really charismatic. And that's kind of what makes it all work. And it does have this sort of fairly standard British crime thriller structure. Yeah. Um, so it rattles along at quite a nice pace. And then when the ending hits you like a ton of bricks in the way that this one did, in many ways, for however old I was at the time, 15, 16, it sort of felt like the complete film and I've gone back to it many, many times. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now a film critic and I can see the flaws and the Charlie Hunnam's accent of it all. Um, <laughs> Elijah Wood desperately trying to not be a hobbit. Um, and, and, you know, the joins are there and I can see the places where it doesn't quite work, but it still has that power for me. And as a depiction of a subculture, a subculture that thankfully most of us will never go near. Yeah. Um, I think it really works. I think it actually has a lot to say. Not everything about its messaging is entirely positive. <laughs> no. Um, there are, you know, particularly one of the very, very final scenes. Um, but I think broadly, its heart is kind of in the right place as much as it is trying to titillate a little bit. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? Because the uh, the whole football hooligan thing is kind of a, a strange sort of subgenre um, that has been done in various different ways. Sometimes well, sometimes poorly. I mean, I mean, I mean back to like the original firm, which I, mean, I didn't realize it made again in two thousand and nine. Um, ID, the football factory. They're all kind of, and it's weird. It seems to be that they're kind of a, a sort of a TikTok kind of timing to them sort of thing so every sort of generation has their own hooligan film to kind of attach themselves to and green street obviously is probably one of the sort of last ones to say apart from the firm remake of 2009 that came out um it's important to actually mention the cast because you, you touched on it there but it's quite it's quite a sort of 
starry cast. I mean, Elijah Wood was what two, three years off the back of uh, Lord of the Rings, so he was like right at the top of his game and popular. Oh, absolutely! It was the, the the absolute peak of Elijah Wood's fame. Uh, Charlie Hunnam um, probably wasn't so famous at the time. He's obviously probably a little bit more famous for various bits and pieces now. Um, you touched on it. Charlie Hunnam initially in this film, you kind of kind of comes across as sort of like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins because <laughs> it's like I don't understand why he's being so weirdly English. Yeah. So the thing I have a strange relationship with Charlie Hunnam because obviously I've always loved this film, but yeah. Even Charlie Hunnam's natural accent sounds like someone doing a bad impression of Charlie Hunnam. Right? It's, so it's I, weird. So, so I have a certain sympathy for him because he's kind of got an Achilles accent of his own that he struggles to get past. And yeah, the accent's not great, but he does radiate that kind of charisma, that kind of the bloke down the pub who everyone sort of likes but is wary of. Yeah. He has that charisma and that really goes in his favour, even when the accent is wobbly. <laughs> it is a bit wobbly, yeah. Um, we've got Mark Warren, who a lot of people recognise um, from tons of stuff. He's, um, he's, he's always good value wherever he, he does his work. Um, Leo Gregory, who plays Bova, which is a great name for, for any character. <laughs> it is the absolute, you know, bloke <laughs> in the corner of the pub name, isn't it? Yeah. And um, the fantastic Jeff Bell, who plays the same person in every film he has. Unfortunately, he's got a, a horrible bastard face, I believe is the, <laughs> probably the nicest way of putting it. And um, he's just kind of typecast as horrible bastard. And he's a proper yes. horrible bastard in this, right? Oh, he's, oh, I'm, I remain to this day terrified of Jeff Bell in this film. <laughs> it is, it's a hell of a performance. Yeah. He's just, he's just so evil. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's that horrible thing where some people have no no filter to the actions that they do, and you can see it in this this guy's character in this film. It's just like there's just nothing that this bloke would not do if you're in his way or in anywhere near him. Definitely, it's 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 a yeah, truly terrifying performance. That the scene where we're first introduced to him, where it, he he meets um, uh, Bother in a cafe uh, over the Millwall end of the river. Hello, I'm Tommy. Tommy Atcher. Yeah, I know. Oh, you know? Well, now you see, that's bad. That's really, really bad. Because now you ain't got no fucking excuse, have you? We're not keeping that shit cunt of yours quiet. Excuse me? George, you can't ever talk to me like that. George, your bird hasn't stopped fucking rabbiting since I've walked in here. Now, can I recommend that you shut her up so I can continue my conversation with our guest there, Bother, of the once-proud GSE firm? You can't tell me. Oh, oh my God! Do you see what she's doing? Do you see her oh fucking stopping? That's enough. That's enough. I'll tell you when it's enough, son. All right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk of local London politics in this movie. Um, but yeah, he's over the other side of the river and, and, and they're talking in this, um, this cafe and he's, he just exudes menace and everyone in the cafe knows who he is and knows to be quiet. And there's this couple on a table and the, 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 the woman doesn't know who he is. And so keeps talking while everyone else has got the message to shut up. And you can just feel that something horrible is going to happen far <laughs> yeah. before it does. Yeah, it's like seeing someone from under the water in Jaws, you know. Yes. That fundamentally nothing good is going to happen now. Yeah, but and then the most kind of layered performance in the film, I think, is Leo Gregory's. Yeah. Um, 
it, I think to this day, it's probably still the role he's best known for. He, again, much like Jeff Bell, I think, kind of got typecast um, as being in films like this. I remember around the same time, um, I think a few years previous, actually, he was in a, um, a TV movie called Out of Control, which was set at a young offenders institution. Right. Um, and again, he's pretty kind of worrying in that. Um, but then in Green Street, because he sort of, he's the guy who his loyalties are in question from the beginning. You know, the, from the first time he meets Elijah Wood's character, he's not a fan. No, um, he's he's the one who introduces everyone to the co- the Cockney rhyming slang of septic tank for Yank, um, and you know he won't talk to to um, uh, Matt Elijah Wood's character, and he he's already suspicious that not only is there an outsider in the firm, but that the outsider is a Yank. There's that whole weird uh, sort of opening um, in the film where they kind of they really they really go for because I, I I don't know if this was pitched at an American audience or not, but there's a whole weird section where they're going through Cockney rhyming slang because they're all talking like it. And obviously um, Matt Buckner's character as, is American and doesn't know what the hell anyone's talking about. But um, like, apart from this one scene where they, they're doing it, they, basically it never happens again. <laughs> like no, no, they never use it. No, it's only when it's relevant to the plot that they use Cockney <laughs> rhyming slang. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the the fact of the matter is that actually Cockney rhyming slang is not widely used anyway. I no. think it's uh, it's something of a curio. I think certainly by the mid-noughties, Cockney rhyming slang had kind of had its day. And yeah, I think there is an element of that. I think more so than many of the other football hooligan films you mentioned. Um, I think this one is aiming squarely at the American market. You know, you cast Elijah Wood, such a recognisable person yeah. um, at that time. Um He's playing an American. There are early scenes set at Harvard University. Um, you know, you've got Claire Forlani's character, who's also obviously uh, American in this film, although I believe she's a British actress. She's actually British, um, yeah. She does the best accent out of everybody. Yeah, she's the, the only the person most pretending. <laughs> yeah, the most convincing person in the, in the entire film. Um, and there is a lot of kind of entry stuff into, into this world. You know, there are lengthy explanations of how firms work. Yes. Um, there's constant sort of rubbing up against each other about Americans versus uh, British. Some of the really fun early scenes between um, Matt and, and uh, Pete, who's Charlie Hunnam's character, are about kind of very mid noughties um, Brit American banter about friendly fire and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, Brits yeah, coming that, that was very much wars. That was very much pitched at a time, wasn't it? Because like, you know, you have to kind of think to yourself, what the hell are they chatting about? <laughs> it's like, yeah. what war are they actually referring to here? So you That's have to kind of really put yourself back in that time. Cause there, there is no other reference to it. It's just like you say, there's some like a little bit of side chat. I did like the way right at the start when the, the sort of initial ruck um, we're seeing at the initial fight, uh, Charlie Hunnam um, manages to push over a, a telephone box which I'm not sure you can do. I'm pretty sure those <laughs> things are rooted. I think Charlie Hunnam's sheer masculine charisma Just forced the phone box to the floor. <laughs> I mean, well done in finding a phone box in the first instance. But then to actually manage to knock it over and stick someone's head through a, a pane of glass was very impressive um, yeah. at the get-go. So, uh, so for the plot level, this film is a bit strange because I think I mean, I do agree with you entirely in the sense that it's kind of, it's almost two films um, and it's a little bit confusing identity because 
we're introduced to a Elijah Woods character who's been sort of stitched up at Harvard. Is that probably the best way of putting it? He's got an incredibly posh, powerful roommate. Who's kind yeah, of he's essentially got a sort of Donald Trump Jr. as his roommate, <laughs> um, who is uh, uh, a cocaine, certainly a cocaine user, possibly yeah. a dealer as well. Um, they've someone's tipped off campus security. They've found cocaine in his room. Um, it's it's been kept in Matt's stuff, and so Matt is taking the blame for for the cocaine because he doesn't want to speak up because. Donald Trump Jr. is a very um, powerful man. Yeah, he just doesn't think he'll, he's win the case or the hearing or whatever it would be to sort of stay in there. So yes. he, he then leaves. Um, the sort of Harvard piece sort of bookends the film. Um, at the end as well, we see like the rejuvenated. By the way, just to say, spoilers are always there because, you know, we deal with films from, you know, 11 years ago. So it's fine, fine I reckon it's, you know. If you want to not have a spoiler, stop now, watch it, <laughs> then come back. It is all over Netflix, so you're good at the moment. So get in there and watch it. Um, I, I personally didn't... I had seen this before, um, but I kind of remember not particularly enjoying it or being a bit sort of let down by it. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't like massively enamoured about going back to it. But the second half of this film is actually really good. <laughs> Yes, almost Shakespearean, and I found myself getting really caught up in it because there is this sort of yeah, it's a Shakespearean sort of tragic final third to the film, which I thought, and I said I couldn't remember this at all. I thought it would horribly shy away for. I thought everyone would live, be happy ever after. Someone would get punched in the face, and they'd all walk away the happy ways. But it's it's proper grim at the end. It's it's horrible. It's it's the way it pushes it out of um so you know, before that final moment of violence there's um the scene where uh, uh jeff bell's character tommy hatcher which is such a good bad cockney name yeah tommy hatcher fantastic so before tommy has uh, hatcher and they have the final rook um he uh there's a conspiracy involving bother um, yes and so it's actually quite a knotty plot that this movie has. Yeah, the sort of start, if you can get past the first 20 minutes where it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of doing culture dipping, right, isn't it? It's kind of, say, taking these Americans and it's just dipping them in the culture to say, this is the world in which these guys live in. This is what it is. And But if you can, once you get past that, you just strip that away, then you're, you're ending up with this, fundamentally, this kind of, like, you could reposition this film, take the whole entire plot and cast, etc., and actually sort of put it in a wartime where these guys are sort of soldiers against other soldiers. Yeah. That's, yes, you know. and so what, what's happened is that Bover has, has found out that Matt it was a journalism student. Yes. Um, and so believes him to be an undercover journalist looking to get dirt on the firm. Oh, yeah, it's um, important to point out at this point, isn't it, that they fucking hate journalists. It's like oh a my big God. thing. Oh, if there's one thing they hate more than the other team, it's yeah. it's, it's, it's journalists. Um, yeah, there's the, the role of journalism in many movies, but this one especially, is to essentially just be a whipping boy for the main characters. Yeah. Um, hey, there's nothing worse that you can be than, a, than either a policeman or a journalist. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, that, so he's, he's a journalist and this is bad. Uh, so they go to the flat where he's staying and find out that he's keeping a fairly innocuous journal, um, but one that has information on all of them and on the inner workings of the firm. Um, yeah, it really plays they, into their feeling that it is going to... Absolutely. It, it is so, going to sell the story. 
yeah, so there's a confrontation and, and Pete sides with Matt over Bother. So Bother goes over the river to, to, to Tommy Atcher and um, tells him that the, this journalist has infiltrated the firm. You've got to go over there and sort him out. And as a sort of sweetener, he tells him that this semi-mythical figure, the Major, yes. um, is also in the pub at the time. Um, and, and the Major was, uh, in Tommy's eyes at least, responsible for the death of his son in a fight years previous yeah um and what then happens is a brutal attack on this pub uh, that culminates in in the major who is mark warren's character being stabbed in the neck with a broken bottle um and it's a horrible moment of violence but there's a certain amount of kind of hollywood to it there's a there's a squirt of blood it's all done in the dark tommy hatcher's got this this sort of line of blood down his face there's a really kind of dramatic line. He's framed by fire. It's all very dramatic. There's a great line at that point, isn't it? Because Tommy just looks at him and goes, I tell you what, do me a favour. If you die tonight, we'll call it Eve. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's proper Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to them having this sort of straightener where they're all going to meet up. It's, it's not a, a normal fight between firms. It's a proper street fight with weapons and, and, and horrible things in this sort of abandoned wharf near the Millennium Dome. It's, <laughs> it's so noughties. Um, so this all happens. And in, in that fight, basically, in order to save uh, the Major's family, Pete sacrifices himself by riling up Tommy, yeah. who in no uncertain terms, gets him on the floor and punches him to death, which is a pretty violent thing to ever happen. And it's so shocking, in fact, is it, that it jolts the rest of the firm out of their violence. Yeah, I mean, um, everyone kind of stops and goes, oh, it's getting a bit serious over there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what hit me. It was this moment where, because for these guys, it is about reputation and it is about how much they hate each other but it's about the rush of violence it's about the adrenaline of violence um you know there's a line in elijah wood's voiceover earlier he says something like once you've taken your first few punches and you realize you're not made of glass you kind of grow to like the violence yeah um but this is the moment where they realize no actually shit we are made of glass (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> we are like in a moment we can shatter and that's that's it that's the end of it and i yeah. think that ultimately is the message because in the voiceover after that there's the line that uh pete pete dunham's life taught me to stand my ground but his death taught me there's a time to walk away yeah. um and i love that about it i love that ultimately that's kind of the message that undeniably there is a thrill to violence but there are consequences. And so actually, probably better if you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's best, best to avoid it, just in case you've run across an absolute nutter like Tommy Hatcher. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I did, I, even towards the, the end, I did expect Charlie's character just to sort of suddenly appear with like a bruised face. Yes, it, it, yes. it does kind of have that kind of air of Hollywood about it where you're going to be, oh, I'm sure he'll be fine. They're not going to get rid of the main character. And you're like, oh, no, no, he's actually dead. Um, the the very ending of it left me a little bit unsatisfied in the sense because like this with this straightener, it, it, I, would it have straightened things out? I don't. It's in my mind, like Tommy's still running around being a, a psychopath. You've got the um the the Baron. What was his name? What was his <laughs> nickname? 
the major the major sorry you got the major who's um, he's still in hospital he's still in hospital but his family's left him because of this violence he's she's going back to america because she don't want any part of it um nothing is resolved in that sense of things and then they have this sort of ending scene with elijah woods kind of confronting uh, donald trump jr in the toilets and getting a quite a I'd say an innocent recording of something that he said, which he believes will sort out his, all of his problems going forwards. Yes, and then there's this, this sort of thing where he he weaponizes the fact he's now capable of violence. Yes, to, to not to not actually commit any violence, but to use the threat of said violence. Because it's a whole different world in America, right? Like over yes. here, if you punch someone, that's generally it. In America, you punch someone. They turn up like two weeks later with a neck brace um, <laughs> and and a, a therapist bill for four thousand dollars and start yes. suing you for the rest of your life. I mean, it's it's yes. a whole different situation. So I don't think it would have maybe panned out quite as well as he'd hoped had he actually punched him. Yeah, what it sort of it reminded me of. There's that one moment in the Social Network where after Andrew Garfield's character has been screwed over. Yeah. Um, he's being escorted out by the Justin Timberlake character and he sort of goes to punch him and the Timberlake character kind of f- sort of hides away. And it's, it's, it's that thing of, it's almost this suggestion that if you're scared of violence, which we all should be because violence <laughs> is terrible. I don't want to get punched in the face. No, I've never <laughs> been in a fight in my life and I want to keep it that way um, for as long as I possibly can. Um, but there's this suggestion that, that there's a there's a weakness in not being capable of violence. Um, but I, I like the way I like to see the ending of this film because it makes it easier for me to say I like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is is that that is the Elijah Wood character, the Matt Butler character, saying this is the last thing I need to do because once I've done this, I can leave that world behind. And I feel like that's the reason why he walks out of that um, that fancy members club and he's yeah. singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, the West Ham song. Yeah. That feels to me like a farewell to that life. To go that I, I've used what I've learned for good or for ill yeah. to, to engineer myself back where I need to be. Um, as you say, whether it would have worked is a different question. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you say, it's not not the the most smoking of guns, is it? No. Uh, but yeah, now he's got himself back to where he wants to be. He no longer needs that part of his life. It's it's that thing that what doesn't kill you makes you makes you stronger. Everything we experience is a part of shaping who we then become. Um, I, I don't think the Matt Buckner of 60 years uh, after this finishes would look back on the period of his life that he's just left with, with much affection, but it has sort of allowed him to get where he needs to go. And it is an experience that has kind of uh, allowed him something. And, and, you know, beyond anything else, he's got his journal. He's got all of his uh, depictions of this life. He'll be able to write a hell of an article or a book about it. Yeah, and then be hated forevermore. I, don't, yeah. I, don't know I mean, the... certainly the one of the co-writers of this film, uh, uh, Dougie Brimson, uh, yes. wrote a book which is considered to be quite a seminal piece of work on football hooliganism. Sadly, I haven't read it, but um, just before I was on this podcast, I was looking into it, and I believe it is available for free on Kindle. So, right, okay, I will be reading uh, his book uh, at some point in the near future. <laughs> Looking at the sort of people behind the film, um, 
directed by Lexi Alexander. Um, not a huge amount of other work that they've done after this. No, she's an interesting, um, interesting figure, I guess. Uh, she, she had a martial arts background. Yeah. Um, and a stunt background before she moved into directing. Um, she's now very uh, outspoken on, on Twitter, I guess, as an advocate for um, uh, gender diversity in, in, in filmmaking and um, uh, better represent, uh, representation for, um, for, for Arab voices. She's, a, she's of Palestinian descent. Um, and she's kind of an advocate for, for Arab voices in cinema as well. So she's a very interesting person. But as you say, kind of not a great deal of, of, uh, of work since. No, because she, um, she came onto the, the screen, um, the scene, the screen, well, the screen and the scene, uh, with the Johnny Flinton short, which is quite, I've not seen it, but it was quite well-renowned. Um, after Green Street, it was uh, Punisher Warzone. But there was like a three-year gap to that. Um, and then since then, it's just like a couple of episodes of TV stuff. So yeah, she's been, um, she's been. Yeah, she was slated for a long time to be doing a biopic of the uh, the wrestler Chris Benoit. Uh, but from what I understand, Lexi Alexander's uh, biopic is now no longer happening. It, I mean, it it seemed a fairly tasteless thing to be doing a biopic about anyway. Um, yes. Yeah, Lexi Alexander <laughs> notably not involved in the uh, direct to DVD Green Street sequels. Yeah, there's been a couple, right? There was Green Street 2, and then... Yes, Green Street 2, Stand Your Ground, is, I have seen. I've not seen the third one. Um, Green Street 2, Stand Your Ground, uh, f- features the character of Dave, who was in the first film. He's the one who is a pilot, bizarrely. Yeah, they were um, very keen to point out that these hooligans were actually, you know... Real gainfully employed, too. yeah. yeah <laughs> there was, like, they, they all had really good jobs, the pilot, a teacher... We can't yes. imagine what the others are doing. Uh, yes, brain surgeon, um, all sorts. Yeah. I imagine. And then, yeah. So Dave is the only returning character in the the, the second one. He's, um, he, he's, I, I believe he's arrested for what happens at the end of this film. Um, right. And, and various members of the firm who we don't see in the first film are <laughs> are, um, are, are in prison with Dave, and there's a a, a fight between firms and what. I believe ends up happening, if I remember this right, it's been many years since I saw it, is that there's an initiative where they're going to free a certain amount of prisoners due to overcrowding. <laughs> um, and I think they have a football match to decide who's freed, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, it's I want to watch that now. It's, oh, no, it's a terrible movie. You shouldn't watch it. Um, <laughs> That's all I do these days. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the third one had Scott Adkins in it. Um, who, who connoisseurs of direct-to-DVD British action films will know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. I won't maybe as go as far as three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it was actually reasonably well rated in the end. I mean, on the IMDb, it's got a seven and a half out of ten. So it is a, a borderline bunker film, but it was quite critically derided. Um, when it when it first came out, but um, as I say, I, I wasn't particularly looking forward to watching this film again. But then I found myself the final third really saves this film. And I think if the the front half of this film had been a bit more polished and a, bit, a little bit less um, Mockney Cockney and <laughs> uh, a lot of swagger and very little else, then the people in it were well and truly good enough to have carried this through to being like a proper a proper classic. Um, That's it, it. And, and and you get to experience performances from you know people like Mark Warren, and people like Rafe Spall, yeah, who Rafe of Spall course is, is is you know now a, a 
Hollywood character actor and, you know, veteran of the stage. Um, It's it's a strange character. He's like, um, he plays a character called Swill, which tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He kind of, you know, I always thought of him as just a comedic actor, but he's done sort of several sort of bad guy roles and stuff now. And obviously in this, I mean, he is arguably the comic relief in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, He's the one who tells us what the Cockney rhyming slang struggle and grunt means. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? There is a <laughs> there is um there is a, a few choicey words being dropped <laughs> over the show. But you know, because it's Landon, um it's to be expected, right? Yeah, you could get away with it to an extent. It's interesting, like the film did win awards when it was first on the festival circuit. It was then when the wider film critic fraternity saw it and decided it was terrible. I, yeah, so I think maybe they probably didn't get through the first third. I think maybe they sort of saw the first 30 minutes. And as I say, it's a, it's a well-trodden genre, you know. So they probably thought to themselves, oh, God, it's another one of these films. And just turned off. But um, Well, that's it. Like, it was promoted with a, a critic quote saying it was like, it makes the football factory look like a girly playground scrap. And that, you know... <laughs> That it gives you this idea of what the film is. And I don't think ultimately it is that. It's possible to watch it like that. And I think yeah. certainly a lot of my contemporaries at the school I mentioned probably watched it like that. But me as a slightly oversensitive teenager, <laughs> I think, who, who liked to think that they were one of those kind of um, more hardened, shall, shall we say, people. Like, by the time I got to the end of this movie, it affected me in quite a profound way. Um, do you think there was a, a love story between Bother and Pete? I think there is a huge love story between Bother and Pete. If nothing else, th- that final scene where Pete's body is lying on the ground and Bother just, he doesn't like cuddle him. He just puts his body over him. Yeah. Like, 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 a, like someone diving on a grenade. Yeah. Um, and there's something really tender about it. And something really intimate. And, you know, the whole film is about how he's essentially losing Pete to, to Matt. Yeah, because um, you got this whole jealousy thing going on. And yeah, and I the, think the, there the is... The scene in the hospital is quite raw as well. Where he sort of tries oh, to reach out and touch him. And he's just like... Yeah. Absolutely, and Pete doesn't want to have it. And then yeah. he goes out and sleeps on a bench and he's yelling the West Ham song into the void, basically. Because it, it, what he's done is, out of a fit of jealousy, ruined the only relationship we see as being significant to him. Yeah. Like it's notable that before that final ruck, we get a sort of preparing for the fight montage where we see the various members of the firm in their households, with their families, with their kids. And Bother's just sleeping on a bench. He clearly has nothing except the firm. Yeah. You know, I don't think we even see him at a job. No, we no, uh, no, we do, don't we? Something like a, like a call center kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's what, right. He's because that's when the, they're watching the, the, the cup draw. Yeah, 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 that's right. But it, it's not a, a vocation in the way that you know Pete's got his teaching. He's and, no and, pilot, and, right? <laughs> no, and Dave's a pilot, and like, yeah, um, it it seems like casual work, certainly. Um, yeah, and, and he's so very, he's like, very, um, very, he's very verbose with his sort of homophobic jibes early on as well, which is sort of yes. traditional kind of closeted attitude, I think, <laughs> which tends absolutely. to happen. But so. I, I think it's absolutely right that the film keeps that subtextual. Yes, because I think because, as you're saying, because of the the, the way he leans on the homophobia early on, it would be such a cliche if it was, you know if they stumble upon him kissing a man or he's got porn mags or something like 
to keep it subtextual, it's there if you find it. And I think it's, I think it's really strong. And I think anyone who reads that into the story is absolutely right to read it because it's there. It's there, yeah. It's absolutely there. But as I say, that final scene, the tenderness there, and the way he... They're sort of cliche quota. They're like, oh yeah. no, we've got, <laughs> we've got Jeff Bell in the film. So there's like half of our cliche quota yeah. sticking up straight away. And, and the way he disintegrates when Pete rejects him is, it's, it's so obviously there. I think, yeah. And I think that's a, it's a credit to Leo Gregory's performance. So um, any final thoughts? I think we pretty much nailed the film down, right? It's... It's, del- it's definitely worth seeing, I think. I think it's what we're saying, right? Yeah, I think it's a proper... Looking back on it now, I think it's a really interesting sort of curio in the way it depicts such a specific subculture at such a specific time. Mm. The way it, it depicts the football hooliganism subculture, it's something that, while, while I'm positive that, that that exists now, I don't think it exists in the same formalised way. As, as it seemed to at this time. And so, if nothing else, as a historical artifact, it's really interesting. Final uh, words and Tom, where can we find you online? Um, you can find basically everything I do uh, on my Twitter feed, which is at Tom J Beasley. Uh, I, I share, I'm, I have very few qualms about self-promoting. So, <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much everything I write ends up there. Right. Okay. So that's that's the good hub to find you at. Absolutely. And and at the moment, it's just me complaining about how little work I have. So um, buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up, because we're in the zombie apocalypse now. That's it. And it's a good opportunity to find Green Street. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Tom. Um, I I promise. Maybe we were. We're definitely going to invite you back at some point, so you're going to have to keep your eyes out for another critically panned film i'm very much looking forward to it oh great chat i'm definitely going to seek that one out sounds good it is it's worth watching it definitely is as i say it, it, it won me round i think there's a sort of once you strip away this um like like the uh i don't know the the brit pop kind of faux hooliganism that's uh that's it's slathered in there's actually a, a, a fairly decent film but it's hard mm. Well, it was great to have Tom on and, and uh, defending the honour of this sort of weird... Was it 90s or two, uh, noughties? Noughties, I think. Noughties uh, footy flick. So I guess if you like... This is the, uh, the science bit, as they say in the podcast. <laughs> if you like the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to it, please rate it and write a review and follow us on social media. The website address is... moviebunkerpodcast.com Excellent. Uh, So until the next time we speak, Matthew. Goodbye. Bunker down. You slag.